0: Neuropathways, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals exploring the latest research discoveries and clinical advances in the fields of neurology and neurosurgery. Welcome to another episode of Neuropathways. I'm your host, Alex Ray-Grant, neurologist in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute. In an effort to explore the latest advances in neurological practice, Today, we're talking about innovating with clinical intent through tech-enabled data capture. I'm very pleased to have Dr. Jay Alberts join us for today's conversation. Dr. Alberts is vice chair of innovation in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute and research from the Department of Biomedical Engineering. Jay, welcome to Neuropathways. Thanks, Alex. Pleasure to be here. Let's start out with an easy question, Jay. So where are you from and how did your career lead you to Cleveland Clinic?
1: Yeah, so I'm originally from a very small town in Iowa, uh, about 1,200 people. It's probably a village, we would say. There's a uh, no stoplights, a flashing yellow light on the outside of town. And I went to a small Division three school, Central College in Pella, Iowa, and I transferred to Iowa State. And it was really when I was at Iowa State that I uh became interested really in Parkinson's disease, so a Parkinson's patient came into our neuroscience class and said, I know what I want to do with my hands, but I can't make them do it. And I was really struck by that, thinking that's a real issue, problem for this individual, and that really led me down this path of research and coupling biomedical engineering and neuroscience together. So today, we're talking about this particular aspect of your work, data capture
0: technology, And it's really revolutionary use in healthcare. Um, Let's start kind of at the beginning. Tell us how biomechanics were historically measured and how your efforts have changed with adapting consumer electronics into healthcare, in our
1: case, specifically neurological practice. Sure. You know, one of the very first biomechanics studies was actually done to win a bet. So there was a bet between two people. It was uh, related to when a horse is galloping, is there ever a time when uh, all four hooves are off the ground? And so Moybridge was contracted to take high-speed photographs of this, and in fact found that when the horse is galloping, there is a point that they are off the ground, all four hooves. Now a different location than they thought in the past, but nevertheless, that was sort of the first really biomechanics for hire that happened. And then it really evolved from there using uh, high-speed photography, uh, 3D motion capture, infrared emitting diodes, et cetera, and you know, inertial sensors through uh, accelerometers, gyroscopes. And that the, in, historically, you needed a really large space to have a biomechanics lab, and many of those measures were done independent of a large number of patients. And you know, you had many studies with, with 10 or fewer subjects because it was so difficult to collect the data analyze the data and then make something of it and so we've really evolved since then you know to your point with consumer electronics devices where your phone has an accelerometer and a gyroscope that is more powerful than we had you know 10 years ago from a laboratory perspective so i know you've published and secured a number of grants for
0: work being conducted in ms and Parkinson's disease can you talk about some of your projects and and uh, latest research findings
1: Sure. So we've done a lot with uh, really how can we use these uh, consumer electronics devices to objectively quantify cognitive and motor function. And I think the important part here is that we're looking at both cognitive and motor function simultaneously as opposed to just in in a silo. Um, each silo, and that's really led us to to improve in terms of Parkinson's, the the treatment of PD patients, and in optimizing uh, DBS deep brain stimulation parameters. So rather than looking at the patient, you know, post DBS just on the cognitive domain and then sending them across the hall to have the neurologist do a traditional UPDRS, we're now able to use both cognitive and motor functioning simultaneously to help program these patients. And that's really an important aspect because you think about it, activities of daily living have a cognitive component and a motor component, whether you're walking across the street, carrying a cup of coffee or engaged in a conversation, right? You're, You're processing the information in terms of, is this car coming, are they going to stop? and then you have to monitor your motor performance as well. So I think that's where we have you know, been able to leverage some of the work we've done with the consumer electronics to, to bring these types of tools to the clinic or to the, to the provider. So I know you
0: developed some iPad-based tools that we're using in our clinic in the MS Center. Do you wanna speak a little bit more about the development of those tools?
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, if you remember, I said I was from a small town in Iowa, right? So, this all started really uh, around concussion. And when we looked at our own uh, management of concussion here at the Cleveland Clinic, we saw some gaps in terms of the assessment of patients and continuity of care. Because we had athletic trainers who were in the field and they were operating, didn't have access to Epic, et cetera, so standardization was, was far from optimal. So we developed the concussion app to help standardize documentation and assessment. And we really tried to then uh, refocus the language or the discussion around data. What were the outcomes or how did this patient present from a data perspective? And that could then lead us to the next phase in terms of treatment or care, right? Previously, our, our mantra of care for concussion, not just here, but everywhere, was really rest and pray come back in a week or 10 days, if you're better, great. If you're not better, eh, rest more and pray harder. And so we really took that out of the equation by now having very objective data. And so to characterize motor and cognitive performance. And I'm sort of proud of the fact that, you know, the NFL is using our software, but more proud that my hometown in Iowa is using it and other places are using it as well. So for example, we've got you know, a group of white middle middle class kids in the middle of farm country using it. We also have another group uh, of minorities in inner city Los Angeles using it. So on the surface, these two populations couldn't be any different. However, they share one thing in common, and that is they both lack access to care. And so I think technology in this case is allowing us to bring their level of care up. So we're really sort of raising the bar while, you know, leveling the playing field so we can have access to all of their data and provide some external guidance to the management of concussion. That's really where it started. And then it evolved into, uh, as you're familiar with, the multiple sclerosis performance test as well as the Parkinson's assessment as well. So,
0: you know, we talked about MS and Parkinson's a bit. Now you've mentioned head injury. Are there other areas in neurology that potentially these kinds of approaches could help us out with?
1: Yeah, I think it, and it, I would say it goes certainly within neurology and maybe beyond, right? When we start to think about cognitive impairment and motor impairment, they're not unique to just neurological populations. We're certainly looking at that in cognitive impairments at the, in the primary care setting for those individuals who are 65 and older. And, you know, I think we've taken some of these tools... Uh, to them, to the primary care physicians, and it's been helpful in the sense that, and it's changed their their model, right? In the past, they said, I really don't want to measure cognitive function because I can't fix it. And I think neurologists know that you can't fix it, but what do you do? Just like schools have been doing for decades, you can accommodate it, right? And so that's a big aspect of what we're trying to do with the primary care providers to, to help them accommodate and get to the right provider. Similarly, we, we know that uh, cognitive dysfunction is a, is a pretty good predictor of who will be readmitted. And so again, we're now using, they're rolling these tests out to our pre-anesthesiology clinic. And those individuals who have you know, lower than one standard deviation from the norm get flagged, and then we can allocate resources to them before they even have surgery or while they're an inpatient to reduce readmissions. So, so I think there's a, a really great opportunity where I think neurology can sort of inform a lot of these other areas in terms of uh, assessment and again, doing something when we can, or at least accommodating the best we can. So I, I know most practicing physicians would say they're
0: getting overwhelmed with data these days. And you know we're now we're capturing more data in terms of biometric analysis. So are there things that we can do or that you guys are developing in terms of algorithms or artificial intelligence approaches
1: that maybe could help us with the numbers game here? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean you, you hit on it, you know, very well. And if you look at uh, different surveys and such about physician burnout, one of the top uh, reasons is interaction with the EHR and overwhelming data. And I think that's why, you know, here at the clinic, we have a very sort of different approach in terms of technology development. We're not just developing technology for the sake of developing technology. It's not the the Bluetooth toaster, right, which exists. It's a real product. All it saves you is a button press. You still have to put the toast in the toaster. But we're really developing technology with clinical intent. So, you know, we spent a lot of time with uh, the providers in the Mellon Center talking about what are your pain points and how can technology potentially help them? And then we spent a lot of time with the patients as well to see is this technology that you can interact with? Is, does it, is it reliable? Does it provide you with some level of value? And will it provide your physician with value? And so we actually published a paper that shows that when using the MSPT app from beginning to end of a case or a patient, You save about 27 percent of documentation time. What we're trying to do there is really sort of a a mini uh, digital neurological exam. We're evaluating their cognitive function, which historically, again, people understand that it's impaired in MS, but it hasn't been evaluated systematically. Again, challenges within the clinical workflow. Upper extremity function, using the nine-hole peg test or an electronic version of the nine-hole peg test on the iPad, and then the time 25 foot walk as well to characterize gait and some levels of postural stability. So in our work on Parkinson's, very similar to MS, what we're really trying to understand is looking at some of the cognitive aspects of working memory. So we have a digital version of the trails test, which we can then subdivide into a cognitive aspect and a motor aspect. Again, very important when we think about motor freezing and now this whole concept of cognitive freezing looking at functional aspects of gait, doing a the clinical version of the timed up and go and collecting these biomechanical variables from the iPad or the iPhone. And then we're also doing upper extremity or manual dexterity testing uh, in these individuals. So to me, I'm excited about that because that allows physicians to do what they were trained to do, which is practice medicine, not type and document.
0: And I can speak to that as well in the clinic, and I'm a multiple sclerosis specialist. You know, we start to look at the longitudinal numbers on cognition, on hand function, gait, uh, depression measures, quality of life. And it helps us see, you know, where is there an issue and where the patient's falling off where they should be. So it gives us kind of early warning
1: ideas about what we should be intervening on. You know, we talk a lot about AI and the value of AI is tremendous. However, when you look at that, you have to think about the quality of data that's going into those types of algorithms. And as you know, the general data in the electronic health record isn't as pristine as we would like. And and that's probably one of the reasons why AI hasn't advanced as, as rapidly in healthcare as it has other industries. But I think with the data that we're gathering that's very standardized and systematic, we now have really by AI standards, a pristine amount of data or a pristine type of data. And as we increase the size of that, we can actually do those better disease prediction algorithms, treatment algorithms. And, and again, that gets me excited because obviously it's for the patients of Northeast Ohio, but also for those patients in rural and underserved areas where I mean, they don't have a Dr. Ray Grant, you know, sitting next to them or someone who they can connect with. So obviously
0: these benefits couldn't be realized without some fairly large collaborative effort between your team in the lab and our team in the clinic. Can you tell us how your team works with the practitioners and the patients and other stakeholders to make these technology-enabled tools?
1: Sure. So I think the, the real key is, is spending a lot of time listening and observing clinical workflow and understanding that the technology we develop is really secondary here or maybe even tertiary the first obviously is the the patient and are we going to do something that the patient can do or will do uh, and is it providing value for them and then it's the clinical workflow so as a scientist who never was in the clinic i had no idea how important the clinical workflow was. And so we developed early tools. We're like, oh, here's a great tool. You should go use it. It's only an extra 15 minutes. And as you know, an extra 15 minutes just randomly added on doesn't work. it's, It's completely disruptive. And so I think that's where we really try to educate ourselves on what are things that cannot be compromised within the clinical workflow, and then where can we potentially use technology in the clinical workflow, again, to facilitate workflow and the gathering of these types of data.
0: Are there additional takeaways for clinicians caring for patients, sort of people like myself, particularly about the use of
1: technology and where we're going in medical practice and technology? Yeah, I think it's an exciting time. Our ability to Uh, characterize patients' cognitive performance, motor performance, all of the things that are important in the neurological exam, I think very soon will be able to be captured digitally. And I think that's exciting from the amount of data we can can gather and then use that data to create prediction algorithms and disease prediction algorithms and progression algorithms. So what I would be excited about if, if I were you was your ability to impact patients, right? so it's no longer going to be whether you write a paper or just a patient across from you i think your ability to impact patients you know far and wide is going to increase exponentially well jay
0: this is is great stuff and i'm looking forward to further developments of your work so thanks for joining us today and and we'd like to see how things go in the future
1: absolutely happy to come back anytime and let you know
0: this concludes this episode of our Neuropathways podcast. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org neuropodcast. Subscribe to the Neuropathways podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from experts in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute on our Consult QD website, consultqd.clevelandclinic.org slash neuro, or follow us on Twitter at cleeclinicmd Clinic MD, all one word, that's at CLE Clinic MD on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.